Welcome to the Round Rock Church of Christ Teaching Podcast. We're a faith community located in the central Austin area that gathers at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope this teaching blesses you as we become spirit-filled and spirit-led Jesus followers for those who do not have a home. It has been a good morning so far. Uh, We are uh, beginning a new series today uh, in which we are calling uh, Doubt It. This is going to be a brief series as we're rounding the corner uh, over to December. So this is only going to be for a couple of weeks. Uh, The last series was 10 weeks. So I feel like I've used up all the chips to do long series. I'll do a short series uh, from here. This series called Doubt It uh, is for anyone who has found themselves in a place where maybe you have had doubts about your beliefs in God. This series is for anyone who may resonate with the sentiment that is floating around right now of deconstructing your faith. I will not talk about that word today, but I will get to it in this series. And also this series is for anyone who finds themselves just discouraged about the Christian faith, or maybe you've had a lack of engagement in your faith. This series is a tool to be helpful to speak to some of those wrestlings. And if no one has kind of told you this before, every single week when people gather in this room, we all have things that we question or we are thinking through. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I don't know what I think about God. You're not the only one that is in this room. And we want to let you know that if you consider this your church home, it is okay to ask those questions. Now, in starting a series like this, I also want to recognize there are some realities, and particularly some realities just kind of in the revival of our church right now, uh, that you may not resonate with some of this series. Uh, You may not describe your faith as a, a faith right now that you feel like you're rethinking things or you're discouraged about it. Uh, And what I want to just say to those of us in the room uh, is to maybe think about engaging this series the way that I engaged people when I went to Abilene for the first time. Uh, So maybe an imagery would be helpful here. Uh, When I uh, moved uh, to Abilene for the first time to have uh, a new home there, Young, young Zane, younger than younger Zane you see right now, uh, was socially awkward, okay? Uh, I, I just did not know how to relate and talk to people and know what to do with my hands. Um, and sometimes I still don't. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I would do when I was creating this new home in Abilene is I would actually, when I met people, I would keep a journal of talking points to actually know what things when I met people did they care about or concern themselves with. So the next time that I was talking to them, I wouldn't run out of things to talk about. And every single morning before I went out, I would actually check this journal and I would remind myself, okay, if I run into so-and-so, I know I can talk about this or talk about this or talk about this. Uh, And this was helpful. Uh, But then I needed to step up my game even further because it was in Abilene, Texas, where uh, I laid eyes on the love of my life, um, who is currently today uh, my spouse. And uh, the first time I met her, uh, we were head over 
heels for one another. Now, there were a couple obstacles socially in the way. Uh, one, she didn't know I existed. And two, um, uh, she was dating someone else at the other time. Um, but those were small setbacks, small setbacks. So what I would do is every time before I met up with her, or I got to talk to her, I would take notes and I would remind myself, these are the things she loves to talk about. And then when we would go on dates, I would actually screenshot on my phone the different talking points to actually remember what things is she concerned about and what does she care about. And years later, I actually reflected and I let her know, like, this was one of my techniques. And she said, oh, I said, isn't that romantic? And she goes, no, no, it's not. She goes, it felt like you were always checking your phone, like you were running out of time. Sometimes I would go to the bathroom just to check talking points. And she was like, does he have a bladder issue? The reason why I would do that is an act of love, though. That I want to know what she's concerned about and what she cares about. Maybe take this series as a screenshot of the cares and concerns for those who currently right now are wrestling through questions with faith. For those who may label themselves as they are deconstructing the Christian faith right now. For those who are wrestling, let this series be an act of love, a way of overhearing what are some of the questions and wrestlings that people who aren't a part of this home are working through right now. Because if we're aware of the concerns and the cares and we know how to dialogue with people, we may just have a window to actually express how we care about Jesus and we're concerned about what Jesus is concerned with. And as a matter of fact, we've said as a church, part of our journey that we've talked about is we want to be a spirit-filled and spirit-led church for those who do not have a home. Therefore, we need to know what are some of the things people are wrestling through and talking through that aren't here right now. There are a lot of people who are leaving the Christian home. The church as a whole is actually flourishing and doing really great, and we do not need to ignore that. But here in the West, over in America, we're not doing so hot. Stats have actually said that young people, this is people from the ages uh, all the way from 12 all the way to 35, that 64% of young people are leaving and deconverting from the Christian faith in some form or another. The world right now is on fire in some ways of people are disappointed and they're disillusioned with faith. And there's plenty of things to get captured by that. There's leadership scandals that are happening, people that are reinforcing politics over their faith. There's conversations on race and about gender that upset people. There's people making prophecies that aren't actually coming true. There's plenty of Christians that have judgmentalism towards the world. There's attacking of each other. There's constant division that's happening in the church. And many people are walking away from the faith. 
that when they see those things, they start to wonder, does God even exist anymore? Or is this all just a human construct? What do you do when you start wondering, does God even exist? Maybe in one of the lines from Julian Barnes, of her famous quote, she says, I don't believe in God anymore, but I sure do miss him. What do we do when people begin to start missing God? When God seems like God may not exist anymore? And how are we to be thoughtful conversation partners with people who maybe think, I don't know, I doubt it. Paul, who was one of the most thoughtful Jesus followers, who uh, arguably could be one of the most legendary people who followed Jesus and shared about Jesus, was thoughtful in how he talked about God and faith and what Jesus Christ has revealed about God. And there's a moment that I want to turn us to in the scriptures this morning that maybe can provide us some guardrails, maybe a roadmap a little bit. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to turn to Acts 17. Acts 17 is the place to go. We were in Acts for 10 weeks and I just couldn't get away from it, so we're going to do one more week of it. Uh, in Acts 17, you have Paul who has had this encounter with Jesus Christ the resurrected one. And he is going and he is sharing the good news. And in Acts 17 in particular, Paul goes to Athens. And he isn't just in Athens, but he actually is dialoguing with a lot of intellectual, very smart, very well-read people. It would have been a space where any and every belief and idea about God would be thrown and tossed around, reasoned, thought through, and talked through. And Luke actually tells us, who's the writer of Acts, that Paul, when he's going around, before he actually dialogues, he actually says while Paul was waiting for some of the disciples in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And then verse 22, we find what Paul actually does when he's deeply distressed about what people are thinking or saying about God. In verse 22, then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus, and he said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I found among them an altar, an altar with inscription to an unknown God. And what therefore you worship is unknown. This is who I'm about to proclaim to you. Now, one of the first things I want to stop and just notice here, maybe one of the first signs to the roadmap of conversations in the midst of people having doubts about faith and about God is that there is not a dismissal nor a disengagement by Paul. What Paul actually does is he is discerning and actually dialogues with the culture around him. That he is discerning and he knows what the story and narrative is in and around him. 
And he's discerning about how he speaks about God based off of that. Sometimes I like to think when uh, we think about culture, which as soon as you say that word, people have a thousand different thoughts that come to their mind. Um, it feels like there's a journey in a road and there's kind of two ditches that exist on the side when we talk about Christians and engaging culture. You know, one ditch that we can fall into um, is that we just hook, line, and sinker anything that is out there in the world. That we think because it's most viewed or majority of people think about it, then we track with it as well. That we accept it and we adhere to it. Whatever culture claims, we say, okay, sounds good. I appreciate how one author actually put it. He said, worldliness is what any particular culture does to make sin seem normal and righteousness seem strange. There's one side of the ditch that just sees culture and just assumes, okay, people know what's happening. The other side as well, the other ditch, is sometimes to see people as anyone who knows anything about culture or engages in anything in culture is unfaithful. And we tend to never say this out loud, we just think it in our minds. So when we hear that someone knows of music or movies or shows that aren't overtly Christian, we think in our mind they are intrinsically dangerous. They're polluting. They're disastrous. Sometimes when we think that mindset, we have a very low view of what's called common grace, that if every human being is made in the image of God, everything that humanity makes isn't necessarily bad, evil, or out to get us. And to be fair, I think sometimes the pendulum swings hard for us because we see things that aren't of God or aren't healthy whatsoever. So we say to ourselves, to be Christian means I need to move away. I need to disengage from any environment that may possibly have any of those things. So therefore, I'll be less likely to do any sinful things. And I would say the only obstacle that happens with that is if we completely remove ourselves from all people who don't know anything of the nature or ways of God, then how exactly are we supposed to share what the good news is in Jesus Christ? I've also hung around Christians long enough that I think if we completely separate ourselves and we move ourselves completely from anyone to where we're only around people who believe exactly what we believe, we start to emphasize and fixate on sins like sexual immorality and profanity and dishonesty. But man, we start to lessen sins like greed and gossip and pride or doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Ditches exist on both sides. And to quote a great song lyric, Paul walks the line. Paul doesn't hyper withdraw from the culture. He actually knows the narrative and the references of the culture. And on the same side, he does not trade anything of the values or what he knows to be true of God. He has a humble attitude that critically observes, engages, and dialogues with those who do not know God. 
And what many people have pointed out, especially scholars, is the way that Paul goes about dialoguing about God is beautiful. Here's some of the lines that Perry read for us a minute ago. It's what Paul said. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands. Verse 25, nor he is served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. Skipping down to 28. In him we live and move and have our being as even some of your own poets have said. For we too are his offspring since we are God's offspring. We ought to not think of God like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art or imagination of humans. One of the most beautiful things of how Paul speaks about the living God is he actually uses and quotes their own artists and authors of the day to point to you have instincts and inclinations of this God. But this God is truly revealed in Jesus Christ and actually points to him. He knows the narrative of the day when he quotes, uh, when he quotes, in him we live and move and have our being. That is from one of the authors of the culture of his day. For we too are his offspring. That is from a poem from one of the artists of the day. What's interesting in Paul's day is that everyone believed in a God, if not several gods. The question was, which God and what can we actually know about them? How close is this God and how does this God care? What's interesting is we're actually in a cultural moment where the flip is true. In our day and age, it's the opposite. People perceive that they know who God is is and they want none of it that they already think that they know about god and that maybe they can be a better god than themselves that there's instincts and implications even for today and i want to just give us kind of four that i want us to be mindful of when we're thinking about in our minds what are some of the implications and instincts that point to God's existence and God's design that's happening in the world? Now, I'm going to lean heavily on uh, some people who are way smarter than me. And uh, there's, there's several people who have dedicated their lives to thinking about how Christians thoughtfully think about the world and what implications exist if we're thinking and having mindsets that God doesn't exist or God isn't active in the world. Uh, thinkers would say that there's kind of four mindsets. There's uh, contingency, relativity, transience, and autonomy. Uh, and I'm going to walk through each of these. I'm also going to give them like maybe like some more accessible wordings because last time I checked, I didn't use any of those four words in any of my conversations that I had with people this week. Four mindsets. The first one is this for contingency. One of the mindsets of an allusion to God not existing is what I'm going to just call the accidental mindset. 
that people walk around in the world thinking that the whole world's existence is a complete accident. In essence, our world exists with no rhyme or no reason. We're set within a universe where there is no transcend, there's no God or ultimate order of things other than trackable patterns that we know in science. It's a blind mystery to why this all exists. And one of the implications that I think is important to remember with this is that this narrative may sound like something we're fine with, but there's something about when we reach our helplessness, our despair, or our emptiness in the world, we're still trying to reach for something infinite. 30% of those who even claim that they are atheists in the world would even say that they've caught themselves before in the midst of suffering, still praying, hoping that there is a God. In the midst of the pandemic, over 50% of Americans who weren't even sure what they thought about God still prayed to God asking for God to end the pandemic. The accidental mindset, although feels accurate when life is going fine, when life goes off the rails, it still makes us reach for, is this all an accident? And how do we cope with our helplessness that we have in the world? The accidental mindset still does not answer the question of why is there something instead of nothing in the world? And even if there's no reason to our existence, how do we explain those moments where we feel deep joy about our existence? The moments where you just, you taste something great, you smell something great. Those moments in life where you're like, gosh, it's great to be alive. How do we explain those? That's one set mindset to be thinking of. The second is relativity. I'm going to call this the ever-changing mindset. In other words, there are no oughts. There are no absolutes in the world. Experience is the driving force of history. There is no one who is underived, unchanging, or self-sufficient in which we reflect or we reject. And the difficulty of the ever-changing mindset is it first begins with the realization that you are not like your dog. If you have a household pet, I would imagine that their days and meaning and existence in the world ebbs and flows based off of having a full stomach and having enough sleep, which some days that sounds really great just in and of itself. But have you noticed that you wrestle for meaning in life? That you're not just satisfied with a full stomach or a great night's sleep. That we're always wrestling in every chapter of our life to find meaning in our lives. And even those who may go far enough to say, you know, the world is just meaningless. You kind of make up your own meaning. Isn't it interesting that we still reach for patterns of behavior? That we still reach for an end goal in our life? That we still set up normative belief systems, whether it be political or moral or educational, that actually give meaning to our lives. What's behind the need for meaning? The third mindset. 
I'm going to call this mindset the temporary mindset. This is the mindset that says nothing lasts beyond birth and death. It all happens in this small amount of time. To quote uh, a great philosophical movie, uh, if you've ever seen Frozen 2, um, there is this scene where Olaf, who's this talking snowman, literally says to Anna, mm, you know, I've, I've thought and I've pondered a lot about life. And uh, do you ever just worry about the notion that nothing is permanent? That's Disney even reflecting us the wrestling of the temporary nature of the world. Things like eternity are just a pipeline or wishful thinking. But many people have pointed to us that even if we want to believe that this is true, we still have instincts and desires for there to some, be something beyond life. One example is, is that we're people who are always trying to be remembered for things. We're always trying to set a world record or become famous or write a book. It's one of the reasons we have children is that we want our legacy to live beyond ourselves. In the same sober breath, we also wrestle with denying death. Other people die of accidents and cancer and disease, but often we don't let our minds go to the reality of death. Sometimes we never accept that our lives are as good as they will get. We always think there is some sort of progress or hope that's there. You even look at narratives of people's lives that even in the midst of deep suffering, humans have a deep capacity and longing for something greater in the world. And we could walk away from God, or we could recognize that there is a God who gives us our life and our very breath, who's given us all things, who has set an order to the world that asks us to actually participate in this world. I love how one thinker, Landon Gilly, actually says it. He says, uh, what's natural to us is not athe atheism, uh, but idolatry. What's natural to us is not atheism, but idolatry. So if you start to think about walking away from God, usually we immediately walk towards something else becoming like God. Two examples. One would simply be, think about the workout culture that exists right now in our society. People may leave church. People may say they don't want religion in their life anymore, but what they do is they'll wake up, they'll go to a building, they'll pay the tithe, they'll say hello to everyone else on the workout equipment. They will begin atoning for that second donut that they felt like they should have never eaten. They will throw around sledgehammers and move tires as a way of justification for their lives. All to worship the image of healthiness. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with working out. You should definitely work out at whatever capacity that you have the ability to do. But what we do is we take something that's good in our lives and we make it ultimate. Another example and be the example of parenting. We can walk away from God. We can walk away from the church. 
but we need something that we pour our lives into that we find justification for. And being a great parent is something that anyone who's a parent should strive to be. But when our kids start to become our way of us being good enough, when it starts justifying our existence, we've taken something good and we've made it God into our lives. So when we tell other parents what type of parent we are, what we're actually saying underneath is we're saying what type of person that we are. Idolatry is trusting anything to deliver control, security, and significance that only God can give us. We each can be called to it, whether it's work or romance or social influence, body image, technology, leisure, vacations, politics. What's natural to us is not atheism, but idolatry, where we make something in this world our God. We didn't walk away from God. We actually made something else God. And what Paul says to those in Athens who aren't sure what they believe about this God is he anchors them. He anchors them. He says, while God has overlooked these times of human ignorance, now we command all people everywhere to turn to him, to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. If you're here this morning and you don't know what you think about Christianity or the church or about faith, the first place I would encourage you to turn to is the same place Paul encourages these people to turn to. And that is Jesus Christ who stepped into history, who said this is the visible image of the invisible God, who gives you your very breath and all things that you have in your life. And you long for him more than you even know. I want to finish with a story that... Uh, that many have many have highlighted before because it's such a beautiful parable of probably culturally where we are in society. If you remember in 2019, there was a long reflection of one of the most historical cathedrals, the Notre Dame. Notre Dame. And uh, it was this beautiful cathedral, a religious home in Paris that has been preserved since the medieval ages. It's been known for its size, its antiquity, and the treasure chest of history that's in it. And in 2019, why this place got so much attention is because it actually caught on fire. What was interesting is that in France, in an area that may be known as the most secular region in society, when this historical religious building caught on fire. People in the city did not rush out in nightfall cheering or gloating or helping burn the building down. People came out and they prayed and they grieved. For many, they didn't even know how much they loved the cathedral, even though they had never been in it. 
that they took it for granted and they assumed that it would always be there if they ever wanted to enter it. People who didn't even believe about God mourned over it. And many people have actually used this imagery as a parable to say, this is where we are as a society. In the words of Brian Zahn, the world may be burning, but we're going to deeply miss God because we always assumed He would be there and we took Him for granted and that we could ever visit Him if we wanted. People may critique God. They may critique the church. They may critique how hypocritical Christians are. But whenever we find ourselves in that space, we need to turn ourselves back to the beauty of Jesus. We need to remember this is the one who gave us things like the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, who was the one who universities were built because of, hospitals were built of, relief aid. Jesus, the one whose followers still today, even when news stations have left places of natural disaster, it's followers of Jesus who are still there right now that are picking up the ashes of destruction. Because Jesus Christ entered the world. Deep down, we may think that we don't want God. But we know that there are some things in the world that are sacred. That we don't want a world that's without God. That's without Jesus. We bring ourselves back to the beauty of Jesus. So maybe today what we do is we bring ourselves back to the one who said, those we considered who are burdened in life are blessed. We bring ourselves back to the one who spoke truth when no one wanted to hear truth. We bring ourselves back to the one who invited people who were wounded and weak to join him. We bring ourselves back to the one who didn't hoard power, but actually gave away power. We bring ourselves back to the one who died thirsty on a cross so we would never be thirsty again. We bring ourselves back to the one who gave us the preview of being lifted from the grave. That death doesn't defeat us. And we bring ourselves back to the only one who is holy, who's worthy, and who is wonderful and deserves all our worship. So Lord, for some of us, we wrestle with where the society is right now. And God, for some of us, we may carry wounds or wrestlings or questions that we have in our faith. And God, we pray, if we find ourselves disillusioned or discouraged, can you bring us back to your beauty that's in Jesus Christ? Can you help us remember again that our very lives, everything that you've given to us, is through Him. May we see how beautiful, holy, and other He is.
May you give us that sense this week, that hope, so we can give hope to the world.